Monday, and are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude. I am so ready to truck it here on this Monday. Beautiful spring day here in Chattanooga, the heart of Freight Alley. How are you, my friend? You know, it was about a year ago hmm. that we all got obsessed with the Tiger King, right? It came out on Netflix. We learned about <laughs> yes, Carol Baskin and the Tiger King yes. himself and the weird, wild world of cat owners. Well, yeah. recently in Houston, I don't know if you saw the news, there was a tiger that was loose on someone's lawn. It was sitting oh, yeah. around. There were reports that SUV came by. It took the tiger home. Uh, well, bad news. If you're a big cat owner, you've been inspired by those shows and you want to buy a cat. And par- apparently they've inspired a lot of people. Big cat sales hmm. way up, but maybe not for long the big cat public safety act it's again it's passed it's going up to the hill on congress though i think it's a good idea it's passed the house and it's going to congress yeah. right yeah. yeah um well you know i'm never i'm usually not a big fan of regulation and laws and stuff like that it just seems like sometimes you have to protect ourselves from our own stupidity right i, I mean so. what what are you doing here why <laughs> what about chimpanzees would you ban those too like there, I, there, remember that story in california there was a lady who got her face ripped off yes. by her own chimpanzee yeah and then she was like the first face plant person yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know i don't know it's 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 difficult to say it seems like a cat is i don't know dude. I, I don't Hey, you know what we're going to learn about today? We're going to learn about wheels, how they're made for trucks. Super I like excited. that. We're going to talk to Alcoa about that. We'll be talking to DHL about sustainability, their yep. Go Green initiatives. We have an amazing guest from them. And we're also going to talk to our own Henry Byers about the ocean data in Sonar. We're going to find out if some of those echoes of the Suez Canal are showing up in the data, what's going yeah. on in L.A., how that's impacting it. Box rates, you all know, are insane. Have you seen Hatbag Lloyd's GRI? We'll talk to Henry about that, too. Oh, yeah. Not hundreds, <laughs> thousands. Yeah, Thousands of dollars. Thousands. Now, for those of you who are relatively new to the business, you may not be familiar with, uh, with GRIs. But in the past, GRIs, they'd put them out, and sometimes they had no teeth. Like 2015, 2016, yeah. a GRI would come out. They'd say, you know, they want a $500, and it stands for general rate increase, which basically what it amounts to is you're going to spend, if it's $500, you spend $500 more per box. You get charged it. But a lot of the big shipping companies would be like, nah, we're not going to pay you. And they'd say, okay, GRI is, is waived. Well, this one looks like it's sticking because of the market that we're in. Yeah, it is. A lot of times those GRI come with that little asterisk, GRI for all non-contracted customers, right? And then yeah. Yeah, they kind of go away. Beautiful. Well, well, not beautiful, but painful. <laughs> paying for it, I guess. Beautiful. I think, if you're one I think of these, someone uh, think it's beautiful if they went away this year, right? If you're an <laughs> SSL executive. That's that's right. Well, let's yeah. tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships to outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at Tell Them, dude. Oh man, newlegendinc.com. Go there immediately after the show. Okay, so I, I got to just mention something here. We're talking okay. about tigers, and I almost completely yeah. forgot. So I ordered this shirt on Etsy. And they asked for a picture of my cat, and I thought it was just so, like, they could put, like, a, like a tuxedo cat. They could match up the, the breed. Yeah. This is actually my cat. Oh, is it really? It's back with actually my cat. <laughs> That's actually the picture. Yeah. <laughs> you know awesome. that fence we got? I thought it was, like, secure for the cat. And, like, my cat's fat. The, this guy right here, he's a fat cat. He okay. starts going under the fence, and it was almost like a cartoon. His, like, butt got stuck. Like, just, <laughs> he was going through, like, a hole that was, like, this big, too. I, yeah. He turned into, like, a blob. But he got <laughs> stuck down enough by it. Now he put some extra boards and secured it. But, um. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Forget it. I hope they don't. I hope he doesn't get involved by that big cat act. He's about twenty pounds, so let's see Ooh, where the cutoff is. That's close. The tipping, the scale. It's the breed. I think is more the issue. Oh, okay. Well, I think I don't. know. 
Embark Trucks is hauling HP printers as it grows autonomous partner network. Really interesting story Alan Adler has up right now. HP Inc. will begin... Inc. No pun intended. We begin shipping nice. computer printers from Los Angeles to Phoenix on supervised autonomous semis from Embark Trucks. HP is the newest addition of to a network of Embark that's growing to understand their shipper needs. They right. really want to, I guess, define this category and see what it entails. As you all know, I mean, the biggest criticism about this technology is that all you drivers out there and all you shipping managers and dispatchers know a lot of bad stuff can happen. A lot of things can happen that you're unprepared for how would a computer deal with those kind of things. But what's HP doing? Yeah, so HP is, they're, they're using it so uh, HP does not operate its own trucks, right? Yeah. So, But that's okay. I mean, that's what Embark wants, right? Because they're going to be using their trucks there and they're trying to learn the needs of the shippers and fleets while it focuses on their software development, right? Yeah. So no better way to learn than let's do it, right? And they're at that point in the development. So Embark's partnership development program is a startup's attempt to win adoption of its universal interface that works in trucks from the big four manufacturers like Daimler, Volvo, Packard, and Avastar. Yeah, so it sounds like they're executing on, uh, on their strategy. Here, yeah. In 2017, Embark was the first all freight using Level Two Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, considered Level Two automation because the driver remains in control at all times. Now it is perfecting Level Four high autonomy software that can handle most driving functions, including negotiating highway construction zones. Embark is not yet running its software on surface streets. You know, many people agree that's going to be one of the bigger challenges. Yeah. Separately, Embark received a public endorsement from one of its early investors this week, Sequoia Capital, which backed the San Francisco-based company in 2018. Uh, what's going on here? Embark, uh, in a Medium post, Sequoia partner Pat Grady, he wrote that Embark is on the precipice of creating a new industry. The last three years of focused work have delivered industry-leading self-driving technology as an approach that has been validated by both carriers and shippers. We're starting to see that stuff come up here. Yeah, absolutely. HP, no small name, saying, yep, hey, let's start moving our printers on these. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. And they'll start moving that forward. So let's go on a headline two. ATA announces the virtual truck driving championship, Dooner. And you may think that they're like driving virtual trucks around. Yes. Is that what's going on there? <laughs> well, it sounds a lot more exciting than I'm, and I'm not say, like, I don't know. It sounds more exciting. It would be really was. cool if they were. <laughs> when I saw this headline, I got really excited. <laughs> then I read the story. Great shark reports. The American Trucking Association recently launched a competition for the nation's most professional drivers, the 2021 National Battle of the States virtual virtual truck driving championship. We're, we're off to a good start here. We're killing, uh, it. We're the, killing it. ATA president and CEO Chris Beer, he said in a statement, our industry has braved the front line providing essential services and delivering goods to American households throughout the nation in the fight against COVID-19. It's yet another reason to celebrate our industry here as truck drivers. The National Battle of the States Virtual Truck Driving Championship will provide our industry an opportunity to recognize the best of the best in our country at Trivia. Yeah, absolutely. Drivers must compete in the state their license is issued in or within the state their company has corporate domicile, right? Drivers can only compete uh, within one state as well. You can't go to multiple states, my no. friend. And you can't have multiple driver's license either. Any driver with a CDL and or driver's license and has begun employed by the same motor carrier since August 23rd, 2020, with no accidents, is invited to compete. The first round will take place on July 31st and consist of a state-level trivia competition. Participants will be asked 40 questions based on federal, state, and state laws and trucking history and culture. The final round of the event will take place on August 14th. The top 10 champions of each state will be invited for the final round of trivia.
<laughs> Please uh, submit all your answers in the form of a question. I thought it would be like, I didn't realize it was going to be like trucking bar trivia. I thought it would be like they'd play truck simulator, like European truck simulator. Yeah, 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 yeah. American truck simulator. And we'd be like, all right, well, they can't act like sort of like the drones, right? They got that yeah. virtual drone thing, but yeah, it actually moves yeah. a real truck. Not the case here. Still, I, I'm sure there's a lot of disappointment. The group had previously canceled its national truck driving championship and the national step van championship, which is planned for August. So, I don't know. Maybe if you're good at trivia, I guess it's still exciting. But it has nothing really to do with driving a truck. But, you know. You, you know I mean, you got to have knowledge exam. of the laws and all that other kind of stuff, right? But it's less exciting than – I mean, some of these guys, do. it looks like they could feed you with that truck when you watch those – actually driving those yeah. trucks and parking. Well, I, so they're and talented, that's really talented guys, and this kind of takes away from it. That, yeah, that's where the disappointment comes from because I think we'd all like to see it. And we're, we're, getting, we're getting back to a point, um, you know, November here at least with live events. Yeah. F3. F3. Check it out. Uh, Union proof Pacific is probing a train de- derailment that caused hydrochloric acid to leak all over the place. Nate Tabak reports Union Pacific is investigating what caused a 28 train cars to derail in Minnesota on Saturday, prompting an evacuation because of the hydrochloric acid. The derailment happened in Albert Lay, Minnesota, about 100 miles southwest of Minneapolis. The crew was not injured, a Union Pacific spokesperson said in a statement. Yeah, and so they got, like you said, twenty-eight cars. Some of them mixed commodities. Some of them leaking the hydrochloric acid. So they're working with uh, they're working with authorities and emergency uh, uh, management people, responders to determine a response plan, how to clean that up, and what yeah. to do with it. So, I mean, you know, where you can also find hydrochloric acid um, your stomach, dude. Is that right? Yeah, stomach acid. Here's another little fact about hydrochloric acid: skin contact can cause severe burns. Right? Inhalation can irritate the respiratory track oh, but yeah. if you I mix it sure. if you mix it with uh with certain chemicals such as bleach you'll get toxic gas known as chlorine yeah it's it's dangerous stuff we used to use it to make uh um uh tornado uh incubators oh yeah like little 15 foot 15 inch uh tornadoes inside a chamber really yeah yeah you mix Where, it like in science mix it, we mix it with yeah in 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 physics we oh do. We, can we make one of these on the show? Can you demonstrate for us? I'd have to look it up, but we could do it. It's not all that difficult, really. Well, let's, who, any minutes, can you go get us some hydrochloric acid? No, I'm not, just no don't do that. Us. All right, let's talk about <laughs> sustainability. Sustainability, big topic. We had our net zero carbon summit a few a few weeks ago now. I don't know. It's hard to it's still hard to keep track of time, but it was a few weeks ago. We got Bianca O'Brien. She's the strategic. She's the strategic programs and go green manager at DHL Global Forwarding for the Americas. And I'm looking over this initiative and it looks like there's a there's multiple different components to it to actually making to to going green and also to sustainability. So let's bring Bianca on. She'll tell us all about it because this sounds really exciting and there's a big investment going on here. Bianca, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here. Where, where, where are you sitting at? What part of the world are you at right now? So I'm actually in Miami, Florida, warm and sunny Miami. (laughs) Now, have you noticed all of the e-commerce and tech companies and VCs moving out there? There's been this big argument between the Bay Area and Miami, and we're trying to find out who's winning. And some people are saying, just wait like a week or two when Miami gets into summer temperature, and you'll see how much they love Miami. Yeah, we can't get rid of the New Yorkers down here. (laughs) (laughs) No, not fast enough, right? So, hey, Bianca, intro- yeah. introduce yourself. It sounds like you've got your hands in a lot of pots here, and even this program itself sounds pretty expansive. Yeah, so I am the, as you said, the Strategic Programs and Go Green Manager for DHL Global Forwarding in the Americas. Um, so I'm basically responsible for, you know, discussing with customers how they can optimize their supply chains, as well as pushing our um, employee engagement around Go Green. So making sure that, you know, 80% of our employees understand what are some of the issues that we're facing and how they can contribute. So there's a lot of work going around that area. I'm also involved in some other stuff, but Go Green is my my main topic for now. 
It's amazing. So you guys put a, what is a seven billion dollar commitment uh, uh, investment into set to drastically increase the pace of your decarbonization efforts, right? And the, the funds are going to flow into alternative aviation fuels, that type of stuff, right? Can you uh, yeah. tell us what what? So what are these aviation fuels? What are the alternative aviation fuels? I always wondered why why aren't we why aren't they electric? Why aren't there solar panels on the wings? We have a long way to go before we can get there. So, I mean, at DPTHL, we see sustainable fuels as the the main mid to um, short-term lever where we can make an impact. So this is why we're putting a lot of the focus there. Um, so we expect to see what, we, what we're trying to do is to have 30% um, sustainable aviation fuel blending. Um, by 2030, we're also looking at sustainable marine fuel also within our global forwarding business um, to do the same thing. So this is re- really where we're focused because the industry is not there yet where we can have electric powered um, aircraft and, and, you know, ships. So this is where we need to really focus um, at this, at this time. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're focused on right now. I mean, and $7 billion sounds like a lot of money, but a lot of these projects involve infrastructure, right? And new technology and onboarding. And because this is supply chain, a ton of different intermediaries that you have to get on board as well. So I guess my first question is, is 7 billion enough? Is it a good start? Um, How costly are these types of programs? Um, yeah, I mean, it is going to be costly. And, you know, as we said, we're looking to electrify, electrify 60% of our fleet. We're also going to be investing, as we said, in sustainable fuels. There are also a lot of, you know, other projects that are going on. So it's, it's a first step. I think that we are the, you know, the company that has really stepped out there with a very ambitious plan. Um, so th- there's quite a bit that, that needs to go into it. In, in terms of our global forwarding business, which is where I'm from, you know, we're also forming a lot of um, alliances, for example, in O. Ocean Freight. We work with the good shipping company um, to, you know, secure a good supply of biofuel for uh, ocean freight shipping so that we can offer that to our customers. And in in global forwarding, we don't um, own, you know, our own fleet. So, you know, we have to focus on these type of projects where I don't know if you have heard of insetting, um, but this is where, you know, it's it's unlike offsetting where, you know, you're you're basically funding projects, for example, in, in reforestation, etc. We are looking to decarbonize the industry directly. So even though, you know, foreigners like us don't own our own assets, we can still make a difference. So, you know, there's we have our hands in a lot of pots, but this is what our main focus on is, is on in, um, in the global forwarding business. Yeah, you speak to the very, it's very complicated in, in building these things, right? Because you've got to look into other fleets, et cetera. And also the different technologies that are there. You know, you're talking about uh, alternative fuels, et cetera. We've talked to different people about optimization and how that can help, right? Yeah. Just using the mm-hmm. same things uh, more intelligently or smarter, right? Uh, capacity utilization. Um, and you've also even got shark skin being put on airplanes, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about that before. What are those zero emission technologies that you guys like the best? What are you, what are you looking into? Well, like I said, for now, what we're focusing on, especially in global forwarding, is on the sustainable aviation fuel. Um, You know, in terms of the efficiencies of aircraft and vessels, you know, we've kind of reached that pinnacle. We're not going to see those efficiency improvements. We can still advise customers, you know, for example, if you're shipping FCL, do you really need the full container? Are there are there um, stuff that you can move LCL, which I want to also mention here. We are the first forwarder who's also uh, providing that LCL biofuel solution um, free to our customers. So, I mean, 
I know you're looking for the grand, you know, mm. what are the technologies that we're investing in, but really for right now, our focus really is on um, biofuels at this moment. And we will be putting money into, you know, other technologies, but for now we're really pushing um, this biofuel and sustainable fuel um, in our business. No, it's really quite the contrary, Bianca. I, I think it's really interesting mm -hmm. and very important to focus on what we're already doing here. Now we can work more smartly rather than always looking towards technology. Technology and advancements, obviously we need them, but we don't need to wait for them, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. a big topic at Net Zero Carbon Summit, you know, you think you're going to be talking to all these different guests about these, like, groundbreaking technologies and ways to utilize energy. But on, a lot of the conversations were about cutting out the empty calories of freight, the empty miles, right, and utilization and doing a better job of positioning our own equipment and doing a better job of the things that we already do. How important is that to meeting these goals, just improving upon iterating upon what's already been done well and what's already within the network. Yeah, I mean, that that's very critical. I mean, because you don't, you know, as I said, we offer, for example, the LCL free for customers, but for customers who want to maybe use biofuel on F FCL, there's still a cost for that. So customers are asking us, what can I do in the meantime, so we, for example, we survey our carriers, both air freight and ocean freight on a yearly basis. So we know how they're performing. We can also guide customers towards maybe there's a carrier or an airline that's more efficient on a particular lane. So these are the type of conversations we also have. As I said, also, if you're not optimizing on FCL, can you move some stuff over to LCL? So there's still quite a bit that can be done in terms of efficiency. And then for the customers who really want to take it to that next step, of course, we have our um, biofuel and sustainable aviation fuel which solution, which is coming soon because we also just um, signed an agreement with United Airlines um, for sustainable aviation fuel in our DGF business. So there's there's a, there's there's no one size fits all solution. It's really a combination of, of things that can be done. But we definitely do have those conversations with our customers on how they can optimize you know the existing with the existing solutions. Hey, she mentioned an eighty twenty split between employees. And uh, we saw some pictures on your on your LinkedIn page of the 80% who seem to be getting it. We have a few of them here of just picking up trash. Yeah, it looks like DHL and DHL families looked like a really cool initiative. What was going on here where everyone was just sort of picking up trash and, and acknowledging uh, the environmental impact of, uh, of us, of people? Okay, so as I said, we have this um, certified Go Green Specialist program where we're trying to certify 80% of our employees. Um, so the first, it's a 30 credit program. The first 10% of that is, you know, learning about climate change and, you know, how our company is contributing to that. And then the other 20 credits, this is where they have these elective modules. So these um, employees that you see here, they're doing because of COVID, you know, we we used to get together in the past and do tree plantings in person. But now we said, okay, since we're at home, you can go to a park or you can go to a beach close to your area and pick up trash and we'll give you credit towards becoming a certified Go Green specialist. So, you know, we had to kind of like tweak things a little bit because people aren't in the office. So this is just one of the things that, uh, that they can take part in. That's really a great thing is getting people educated and, and out there and doing things and just seeing what the impact is. It's highly, highly important and very, very effective. I love it. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the, Joan, the Jones Act. Sorry. So, uh, you know, short sea shipping is, is pretty popular uh, in Europe and other parts of the world, but not so much in the U.S. because the Jones Act really kind of it, it inhibits that. Right. Should we look at mm -hmm. maybe changing that in order to help with these initiatives? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say so. I mean, I think, you know, the U.S. can probably do a little better in some of these areas. So this is something that we I think we should, you know, look into. Yeah. 
Wow. So uh, you have these science-based targets and initiatives, right? How are those derived? How does DHL decide? You mentioned you hear a lot from customers, right? Customers are like, we need this done with fuel. So I guess this is a two-part question, science and customer demand. How do those meet? How do those merge? And, and what's the output for the Go Green team? Yeah, so with regards to science-based targets, um, well, for example, in the past, we were measuring um, from the tank to wheel. So basically, you know, using the fuel in the vehicle, when you sign on to a science-based target, you have to start measuring not only from using the fuel in the vehicle, but also, um, you know, from where it was refined, et cetera. Um, And the reason is, you know, it's like a lot of companies now are, you know, really getting on board with this. So, you know, we really needed to you know, get on board with the science-based target um, initiative. And when you when you sign on to a science-based target, basically it's in line with climate science. So, you know, it's very, very crucial because, you know, companies can go in there and say, okay, I am, you know, you know, I'm looking to cut my emissions, but if it's not in line with climate science and not contributing, then, you know, what's the point? So, you know, we basically decided that we're going to take that bold approach and therefore we, we signed on to the, the target. And also a lot of our customers are demanding that as well. When we look at, you know, our customers, they're also signing on to um, science-based targets. So it's pretty, pretty important. It is. So you're looking at 2030 uh, as uh, the line, as being in line with the Paris Climate Agreement, right? We talked about the science-based uh, target initiatives. How difficult is it for us to get there? I mean, talk about the it takes an entire village and supply chain to get there, right? You've got all these different partners, and you spoke to it and touched on it very briefly in the beginning of how difficult it is working with non-fleet, right? You, you've got some things that are non-fleet you got to deal with. Talk about that. How hard is it for us to get there? What do we need to do? I mean, it's hard if you're trying to do it alone. I mean, it, it involves um, polit- politicians, governments, other um, industry partners, everybody kind of needs to be involved in this. You know, no man is an island. So there really is a lot that needs to go in. We need to have the right infrastructure. You know, we talk about electrification. Do we have the right infrastructure in place right now? No, that a lot of investment needs to go into that. So there there really is a lot of work to be done in terms of, you know, um, research and, and development as well. So it, it really is going to take a lot. Um, so a lot of cooperation is, is really needed, but we are um, already involved in a lot of industry initiatives, um, clean cargo for ocean freight, um, SAFA for air freight. Um, we also are involved in initiatives um, testing sustainable fuels um, uh, called AREG. So there's a lot of um, cooperation and collaboration that really needs to go on in order to get us to where we need, need to be. And one thing I wanted to mention, we really don't want to focus on using offsets, um, you know, that's the easy thing. Okay, we're going to emit and then we're going to pay for it. We really don't want to do that. This is why I, I kind of mentioned also, you know, the the insetting solution, which is, you know, even though we don't operate our own fleet, um, we can, you know, pay for biofuel to be used on a, a vessel somewhere in the industry. And because our cu- we're paying for it on behalf of our customers, the CO2 benefit goes to them. So there's a lot of things that we're looking into, but Definitely, it's a complicated topic and everybody needs to kind of like work together and, and come up with innovative solutions um, to these things. Yeah, I mean, carbon credits, they've been, they've been popularized, but they've also started to get criticized as a form of yeah. greenwashing, meaning you are you're actually not really doing anything. You're expecting someone else to do it for you while not fixing the your own things yeah. between your world. And, you know, when you look at what DHL is doing, a lot of these initiatives are tied to social in- initiatives, right? One of the programs I was looking at was your Go Trade program. You launched it in the fall of 2020. And this seems to be mm-hmm. focused on working with developing countries, the, the companies that are probably uh, the countries that are probably the the 
that are going to have the hardest time getting to these green initiatives and also getting the support of larger companies. So how does the Go Trade program work? Yeah, so basically we're using our expertise, basically, you know, looking at, you know, the customs processes in these um, locations, how working with some of the small and medium enterprises there, you know, teaching them about e-commerce and trade and stuff like that. And we're doing it in cooperation um, with local partners. So a lot of this is happening in the Middle East and Africa. Like we have a program now in Rwanda where we're working with companies there. So, you know, just trying to, you know, drive global trade and help some of these smaller companies in, in developing countries know how to compete on an international scale. So um, one thing I wanted to mention too is as of this year, we also announced that 1% of our net profit is going to go into these programs. So not just the Go Trade, but we also have the Go Teach and the Go Help and Go, and Go Green program as well. So we've decided to invest, you know, 1% back into those programs to help to help build them up. Yeah, that, it's great. And I love to highlight those type of things. I was going to ask you next. Can you talk about the Go Help? It's a disaster relief working with the UN. Is that right? Yeah, so we work with the UN to provide um, disaster um, support at airports and, and whenever there are any um, kind of events. Um, so we've had quite a few deployments. Um, we Last year, we did some work in Brazil, I think in Honduras, in the Philippines and Puerto Rico. So, you know, we provide that totally free of cost. I actually have been to Panama to see how that works there and, and see how the team there operates. So it's 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 pretty impressive, you know, what we're doing there to, to support countries, you know, in the light of any natural disasters that occur and just I, providing that logistic support on the ground. Yeah. How is it? Speaking of the people, how is the Go Teach program working? That sounded really interesting as well. Helping employees out of poverty, disadvantaged situations. So sort of like how you're doing with the with the trade side, you're also extending that same thing to people, putting them in a better position than they once were. Right, exactly. You know, working with disadvantaged young people, helping them to build up the skills that they need, you know, preparing them for work. Um, so we have partnerships um, with the SOS Children's Villages, with Teach for All. Um, in Latin America, we this is really big over there. You know, we work um, with different organizations, um, Techo, um, Aldeas Infantiles. Um, so we, we do we do quite a bit of work. Um, I think globally we have about 68 partnerships um, across 58 countries. So, you know, because of the pandemic, though, we had to take some of that virtual. So, you know, doing mentoring um, with these young people virtually, but, you know, you have to work around what the situation was. But we've done quite a bit of work, you know, over the years. And this this was established since 2009. So this is not new for us, something that we've been very deeply involved in. So, Bianca, here, here's a question for you. How closely do you think, um, how closely related do you think are, are diversity and, and inclusion uh, with sustainability, those sensitivity levels, I guess, between the two? Yeah, I mean, for us, you know, DNI has become, you know, very important. Um, you, you, to, you, you can't be a sustainable company if you're not basically focused on, you know, including all of those employees. I mean, we are present in 220 countries and territories. So it's mm -hmm. very important um, that we have a, a big focus on that. Um, I, <laughs> I see you got my picture. Okay. Um, so, I mean, actually this week, <laughs> this week in um, DHL is actually our um, diversity and inclusion week. 
Um, so, you know, we're focused on, you know, having employees, um, you know, interact and, you know, see what other cultures, people from diverse backgrounds um, come from. And it's very important because people from, from different backgrounds, they bring a different perspective to business. So, this is also driving sustainability forward. It's also helping your company to become more efficient and look at different ways of doing things. So I think it's a very critical and very important um, part of being a sustainable um, company. Yeah, and I think that's why we wanted to focus so much on sustainability being about people in this interview. Because yeah. you're talking, especially the, the the supply chain of people, and it's getting harder and harder to actually get people in warehouses and things oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely the, it is. The more you can align with their, their values and their goals in younger generation, the diversity, inclusion, environmentalism, yeah. all of these things are keynotes of the values that a lot of young people hold. And companies that don't start it, adhering and defining these things are going to lose both customers and employees. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's important, you know, like, for example, we have this unconscious bias playbook. It's kind of a self-training manual. So it's helping our employees, you know, how to deal with unconscious bias in the workplace and, you know, you know, just, just, just you know, how, how to deal with other people and, you know, how that type of unconscious bias could creep in um, in their daily work. And of course, we don't want to have that, you know, within our organization. So very focused on on addressing those topics. Yeah, yeah, and DHL being in 200 plus different com- countries, uh, you've got challenges, but also advantages in in that diversity and understanding and inclusion, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of stupid questions, yeah. Let's ask her. We've actually been talking. This, this, yeah, give, 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 give it a spin. I'm going to spin the wheel of stupid questions for you, Bianca. Okay. Let's see. Round it goes. What, <laughs> what do we, we got, got here? here? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Would you rather that the aliens that first make contact with us be robotic? Or organic. Ooh. Um, <laughs> robotic. Robot. Wow. Okay. Why, well, why is that? Because somehow maybe I could figure out a way to hack into them and make them do what I want. <laughs> I like it. I so like. She's immediately defensive, right? Control, They're not right? here for peace. <laughs> they are not coming in peace in her mind. Hey, we appreciate it. So, <laughs> hey, people who want to reach out, they want to get more involved with with your programs, with these Go initiatives. Where do we send them to? Um, you can send them to me. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> then go check out Bianca. Yeah. Bianca, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank Take you, Bianca. Awesome. You know who we'd also like to thank? We'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring right. today's episode. Legend Partners with Strategic Customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tell them, dude. Oh, man. Go to newlegendinc.com come immediately after the show. Hey, guess what? We're going to learn how wheels work, and we're going to talk about a guy who not only works for Alcoa Wheels, he's also a podcaster who looks behind the wheels. He's a PhD, he's a global technical manager, he's a global accessories manager. What don't he do? We'll find out. We'll learn about wheels. Let's bring Doug Mason up. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Really happy to be on the show. I think we have a quick video to show right before you come up that's going to show a little bit about how these Alcoa Wheels work. So can you roll that, please? A lot has changed since 1948 when we invented the forged aluminum wheel and transformed an industry. Today, the process begins in our foundry, where aluminum and alloying elements are carefully mixed in the furnace before being cast into ingot. These ingots are then cut into billet at the forge line. The billets are preheated and passed through a series of forging operations to make the rough shape of a wheel. These forgings are further processed at our machine shop, where they're turned to the final diameters and the holes are put in. 
we fully machine every wheel for good dimensions and a smooth, true ride. Following machining, we apply one of our many finish options. High polish, mirror polish, or even Durabrite, our proprietary surface treatment, which protects the shine of the wheel and is easy to clean. For customers who want an edgy look on a modern truck, we now offer Durablack with a bright laser-etched logo and a menacing matte black finish. Sharp-looking wheels make a Oh, yeah. I like the menacing matte. <laughs> I like the I like the all black ones. Those are sharp. Yeah, looking. the menacing matte black. Now, before Very we came cool. on air, we were looking into your background. We were listening to your podcast. We were watching some of your videos, and like, Uh-oh. you know, way more about wheels than I think any regular human being should. So you are a perfect guest today. <laughs> well, hey, you know, wheels is all I've ever done. So I hope I know something about them. I, I absolutely love it. Now, none of that was actually true, right, Doug? All you need is a piece of metal and make it round. Isn't that right? That's what everybody thinks. A wheel is just something that allows the wheel, you know, the vehicle to go down the road. It's it's kind of an afterthought, right? That's what yeah, uh, I thought knocked, when I first started. Yeah, you knock that last corner off the square and you're good to go, right? Yeah. Well, and everyone thinks your tires too, right? That must get so annoying. Is that like the number one pet peeve of wheel people when people assume you also make the tire? Well, no. When people call the wheel the tire, that's probably the most oh, annoying thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what? Yeah, I really like those tires. Choice? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) nice tires. Those are nice, shiny aluminum tires you got on there. (laughs) So what what makes a good wheel? What makes a good wheel, Doug? Tell us. uh, It really comes down to the material and the engineering behind it. Uh, We have some great designers uh, that are behind really taking – it's amazing. You go back another 20 years, uh, the wheels that are on a a truck that carry 7,400 pounds right now, they weighed 60, 65 pounds in aluminum. And they're down under 40 pounds now. It's all, all the science, the ability, the manufacturing capability that you saw in that video, video from Andrew Martin. That's what really makes the wheels, the material and the knowledge on how to get that material to the right properties and the right geometries. It all looks round. It all looks the same. We call them pizza wheels. They just look like pizza, right? There's some pepperonis <laughs> on that sliced around. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they, carry, uh, they carry an awful lot. So we know that they're not tires. Wheels and tires are two distinct things. What are, aside from not being tires, what are some things the general public doesn't know about teal, uh, about wheels or maybe the process at Alcoa? What are some, some facts you get on this stuff? Well, when people take a look at a shiny wheel, they go, oh, you got chromed wheels. Um, you know, and you got cast wheels out there that are chromed. You got highly polished aluminum wheels like we have. You've got steel wheels out there that are, are also have like a, can have a chrome finish put on them. And so... Most people just look at the wheel and go, oh, does it look nice? It's jewelry, right? It's the jewelry on the vehicle, especially in a past car light truck market. Think of the proliferation of all the designs. It's it's the jewelry. And so we like to think of our wheels. The, they're made out of 6061 aluminum. We use that because of its strength and its ability to shine. Now, the menacing black kind of goes against the trend there, but uh, we can also bring out the background. If you take a look at the logo on that wheel, it's laser etched in, high tech. Yeah. It uh, looks really cool. So, yeah, it, wheels that people just think they're round, do they look nice? That's that's primarily what people are thinking when they look at it. Do they look nice? Speaking of, I mean, we have a picture of some of these. We have some pictures of these wheels on trucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, these they're things. Gorgeous. Those look nice. Yeah, no, those are those are phenomenal looking wheels. Um, the, you know, like, let's take the tires off this. You mentioned like the strength and how much these change. If you took the tires yeah. off yeah. those wheels, could you, how long could you run a truck on those things? 
<laughs> well, you're going to have to listen to one of our podcasts. It's called Wheels of Shame. Uh, and uh, you'll be able to look at some of the pictures of what happens when someone blows a tire and tries to keep going down the road. You can take the, the half of the wheel right off, and then it looks like, uh, you know, uh, a semicircle rather than a, a full circle. So, yeah, you aren't going anywhere without the tires on there. And the tires are what translate that load from the vehicle through the tire down to the road. So it's uh, it's all a big mishmash of everything working together on the wheel and to carry that load. Well, yeah. we have a, a video that yeah. he, that that Doug that you produced of some of the impact testing that these wheels Ooh. take. Let, let's take yeah. a look at it. Then you can speak to us what was going on here. Yeah, what we have here today is the impact machine, also known as the impact tower. This is one of a kind in the world. The striker on this tower weighs over a ton. This machine itself is used to simulate a wheel and tire assembly hitting the curb while vehicles in motion. Hmm. We control two variables for this testing, one which is the drop height. We could go as high as 90 feet. The other is the horizontal access, which we adjust the wheel and tire assembly under the striker itself. After the striker is dropped, the wheel and tire assembly should lose no more than 50% of its PSI within the first 30 seconds. This will determine whether the test is a passed or a failed. Doug, can you tell us how these wheels fared under pressure? Certainly today we were looking at the impact results of a fabricated steel wheel and a forged aluminum wheel. Now both wheels did pass tests. However, there's a significant difference in the results of where the impact actually hit. When you take a look at the fabricated steel wheel, you'll see that the area of impact is much larger and that the flange itself is folded over significantly. There's also a large loss of paint. Now, in the future, this would be an area for corrosion to occur. And because of the large impact that occurred and the deformation that took place, we would have large radial and lateral runouts possibly as well going down the road. Now, in the forged aluminum wheel, we do not see that. It's a very small area of impact, and really there's no deformation of the flange itself. Therefore, the lateral and radial runout probably would not be affected too much in this particular part. Wow. That, it, it's pretty cool, right? And you're yeah. dropping those things in there. But it, it, So the immediate question that came to my mind, and I'm weird like that. I inspired the wheel of stupid. But it is, does a, does, does a quality uh, wheel overcome poor tires? Or do you really need to have that right combination? Well, really, in the in the way that you're, you know, you're talking from an impact perspective yeah. right here. Yeah, um, safety. That's really coming impact. in from the side. It's really coming in from the side. So that, that side impact is really being absorbed by the wheel itself. There is some of that striker that hits the tire. Mm -hmm. um, but the, you, you heard about that. You know, that's a ton that's being dropped from yeah. pretty high height. It, it, you know, simulating a semi-truck sliding sideways into a curb or hitting something, that's a lot, a lot of force. Yeah. And so most of that is absorbed by the uh, the wheel itself. The tire does a little bit. Um, but it's. I don't think the tires are going to have a huge impact when it comes to impact. Uh, the tires have a big, uh, you know, importance when it comes to many other factors, but not necessarily on the impact. I would mm. say. Gotcha. Now, abuse testing—that seems like the most fun part of the job. Coming up with ways to just <laughs> torture these these uh, these wheels, right? Yeah. And see what happens to them. Um, what is the impact on there? Like when you're watching a movie like Terminator 2, right? And he's in, Arnold's in the semi, or the, the T-1000's in the semi truck. <laughs> it drives over the side of, a, of, of an overpass and it falls down a full complete story and lands on the ground. Well, on, on most wheels, would that just, all those just shatter? Like how do you, how do you know how much impact these can take? Um, you know, we're not, I don't think uh, we would necessarily warranty somebody who drove a semi truck off a cliff and, and landed on the, on the wheels and they were bent and we'd say, Hey, that's a problem. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but uh, you know, the typical force of of sliding in, you want to be safe, is is the bottom line. Because what happens if you uh, if you're driving and you hit a curb, you hit something hard, uh, and you are able to dislodge the tire, now you've just created an instantaneous uh, air loss, and then you can lose control of the vehicle at the same time. That's really what we're trying to simulate here, making sure that the vehicle is safe. And so, you know, what was good about the the steel wheel is it, it passed the test. Things that are on the road pass the test. How well do they pass the test? How well do they survive it? Can you continue to drive it afterwards? That's really uh, where you go beyond what the test is trying to do. And that's really what we're trying to show there. So the the force, you know, again, it, we used to, I used to work for a pass car, uh, light truck company, and we had to make wheels for some high-end super cars. And one of their tests basically simulated driving off about an eight-foot cliff uh, with the wheel turned at a camber and landing on that wheel and uh, the wheel had to survive. Um, and we were thinking, well, the guy's dead and the vehicle's gone, but yeah, the wheel's still good. So uh, <laughs> we, we try to make them real strong. <laughs> well, yeah, you got that going for it. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what would you say to people out there who are, are buying a truck and they're not even considering their wheels? They have a tire, they kick, the, most people kick the tires, right? They don't kick the wheels. So what would you say to people who aren't really putting that much thought into wheels right now? What should they be considering? Resale value. Yeah. Um, is really probably one of the biggest things mm. you want to think about. Um, and quite honestly, when you're talking about uh, uh, forged aluminum wheels, that's really like one of the biggest advantages. Uh, you, you'll talk to different fleets and things, and they buy a wheel that has forged aluminum wheels on it, Alcoa wheels on it. Uh, when they're done with it and they turn it in or they go to sell it, they get their money back. So that's that's an investment, you know, first of all. And uh, then you think about, well, what's the safety how are they tested? And we can go through all of that, uh, you know, on our wheels and say, yeah, these are going to be safe. They're going to be durable. They're going to last. And we've been, you know, making these for over 60 years. So the uh, other things that's significant and important is, you know, how are they going to maintain them? Uh, are they going to take a look at, um, are they going to polish them themselves or not? There's there's certain surface finishes. We have one called uh, uh, Durabrite Evo, where you don't have to polish the aluminum wheel again to keep it shiny. Basically, just have to rinse it. So, how do you want to take care of the the wheel itself? Um, how long do you want it to last? And what's the resale value? How am I going to maintain it? I guess those are the main things that I'd be looking at uh, as you consider buying a vehicle and what the wheels are on it. Wow, exciting stuff! You know, the it Rolling Stones should have renamed their tour from Steel Wheels to Forged Aluminum Forged Wheels. That would have made a lot. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. <laughs> they would have had more people come. That's for they sure. Had more people come. Hey, you know, we've had a great time with you. How do people reach out? How do they learn? How do they find your podcast? Behind the Wheels. You can find us uh, also at alcoawheel.com. You can stro stroll through there to find the podcast, or you can go uh, on YouTube and look it up as well. Behind the Wheels. And there's two other more brilliant guys than myself on the show, Mike Yegley and uh, Dave Walters, that have significant experience as well. We have a great time, just like you guys do, and really appreciate you having us on the show. Hey, Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for coming on, Doug. We appreciate it. Have a thanks, good day. Doug. Well, Take care. Good stuff. It's cool to learn how wheels work. You know what's not on wheels, though? Maybe it should be. Maybe it shouldn't be. I don't know. Ocean freight. It's a mess right ah, now. Uh, every is. mode of transportation is a dumpster fire. A as, dumpster, uh, Chris all markets told are us. a dumpster fire. But I will say that ocean is probably the biggest of the dumpster fires, which is ironic because it's on water. Right, Henry Byers? <laughs> Henry Byers, market expert over here at Freightways. What's up, dude? What's going on in the ocean? Hey, how's it going, guys? There's actually a vessel on fire right now off the uh, Port of Oakland. But the NYK vessels is on, oh my gosh. is on fire and getting uh, towed into Port of Oakland right now. You know, people, you all, 
when there were fires on vessels, people always go like, oh, rock, don't they in water? Can't they put it out? But most of the times they're actually like electrical fires or, or chemical fires. They're not stuff you can actually put out yeah. with water. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of the irony, like you're surrounded by water. Why don't you just go drink the ocean? Well, yeah, it's salt water. It doesn't work. That's why you don't do it. Yeah. Right, Henry? This is not smart. Gosh. <laughs> Henry, what's up with this hat bag Lloyd GRI? I saw that thing and I almost scrapped my pants. And at, at this point, I think they, they can charge just about anything. Um, I mean, it, it's a mess. And, and both uh, containerized freight to the U.S. Uh, from China and just overall U.S. containerized imports, judging by our bookings data, is set to hit uh, a new all-time high in the next seven days. So it's just continuous upward pressure. You know, we talk a lot about you know, the pressures and pricing uh, with Sonar and how you can, how you can see that. You know, it's showing you demand, and, and demand is even higher and will be higher in the next seven days uh, than it has been at, at any time in history. So, Henry, you, you talk about the tsunami that's coming, and it's starting to hit, right? You posted some stuff over this weekend showing the, those at anchor off the port of, of Oakland, right? And it's starting to look like San Pedro Bay did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've read some things about containerized shipments on, on, on bulk carriers. Surely this is not true. It very well could be possible. I mean, it, with what you're seeing right now, I, I was working uh, or talking to Eric Kulish, our, our air cargo expert, he was saying that, that one of the forwarders he, he was speaking with has been successful in converting uh, 600 containers in one month to, to air freight. Um, importers are hungry for this freight. This freight's getting held up on the West Coast. Uh, the rails are congested. Truckload capacity's uh, super tight. It, it's just, you know, there's troubles, you know, all, all down the supply chain. Um, so that really getting it here any way you can, I think <laughs> putting it on any ships that are available is certainly an option, but um, it's going to be hard to do because of the ports. The ports want these vessels to be the containerized vessels that they're prepared for, yeah. that they are used to operating. Um, so it may, it may or may not, but don't put, don't put it past someone to try to, uh, you know, load one on a yacht and get it over here. <laughs> so, Henry, for those yeah. that don't know, you've worked very hard over the past two years of modeling. Ocean. You and I are both from the, inter- the world of international trade. So we are both international trade data evangelists. And you've worked very hard to make sure that data is getting into sonar. What is in what does ocean trade data in sonar look like right now? What can the people out there learn about uh, their supply chains and kind of get ahead of this tough market? Yeah, the demand, uh, the demand data that we just brought out in sonar's next level. Uh, we're just seeing it confirmed, the validity of it being confirmed across the industry. So it's showing you basically how many vo- how much volume, TEU volume, so this 20-foot equivalent units of all the volume, those 20-foot containers, how much is originating overseas. So you actually see that data before it ever leaves. So when, I, when I'm saying uh, the, the next seven days, we actually have confirmed volumes as, as reported by the steamship lines for the next seven days from any port in the world. Um, and then you obviously have the destination port. So a lot of these shippers, orders, and BOCCs are looking at this on a lane basis. So we also have that broken out across a lane. So not only can you look at uh, you know pricing within sonar, you can also look at what's driving that pricing from demand. Uh, and very soon, uh, I'm excited to announce we're going to have a lot of capacity metrics that where you're going to be able to literally look at a lane. So let's just say Shanghai to Los Angeles. Look at demand. You'll be able to look at capacity. You'll be able to look at transit times. Things like that. You'll be able to show all the different analytic, uh, analytical data points around that lane to, best, to make the best decision. There's not a lot you can do right now, to be honest. I mean, just to know uh, that there's upward pressure and, and to be prepared for it is certainly meaningful. Uh, but, but space is super tight. I think right now our data is going to be best suited for when the downturns start happening. You know, when, when you see volumes drop off from China, is it Shanghai? Is it Yanchen? Is it all ports in China? 
uh, being able to see that granularity gives you a real unique advantage because oftentimes what you're hearing from overseas is not always uh, accurate, right? You hear a lot of hearsay. You always hear people say, I have a source, uh, and he said so-and-so. This is giving you that objective uh, perspective on what's going on in the market so you can really make a, a true independent uh, decision and ultimately you know, be proactive in driving uh, your discussions with the carriers and, and ultimately trying to get your costs under control. And all of that is, is is excellent. It's obvious the the uh, the positive nature of this and the impacts and the benefits that you can get if you're an international shipper and you're playing that arena. That's your supply chain, but it's also pretty uh, pretty informative and pretty helpful uh, as far as capacity trends and pricing, et cetera, for those that are locked into just really domestic supply chains. Well, uh, as well, correct. I mean, if you're shipping out of L.A. and so on or Houston, and you want to see those different changes and the pressures that are going to happen, especially when you start seeing that containerized coming in more and more through ports or the port congestion changing like in a Houston, right? Mm-hmm. That, that was the most, uh, it wasn't really surprising because I, I mean, I think a lot of us uh, know, or, or at least you know, when you think about freight that dra- travels in dry vans, uh, you know, we know that a lot of that stuff comes from overseas. I mean, just look around you. Was anything around you in the room that you're sitting in made in the U.S.? Uh, you know, in all likelihood, most 90% uh, of everything around you is probably made overseas. So we know it comes from overseas, but when I saw the correlation between our uh, inbound Ocean T volume index in, in dry van volumes um, for, for the entire U.S., it just it's astounding. Uh, so, so we're basically giving you, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 days advance notice of, of not just that volumes are going to go up in the U.S. for, for truckloads, for dry van freight specifically, but, but each port. So you're able to look at each port specifically. So, so is it New York? Is it Los Angeles, Long Beach? You know, when volumes are shifting because of congestion, where are they moving to? We, we were showing these increased volumes in Oakland and announcing, uh, we announced it three months ago. Richie Daigle put it in the post on LinkedIn. I, I encourage you to go check it out. Three months ago, we were telling people there's going to be you know 30 to 40 vessels that are going to be backlogged up in Oakland. So be prepared for it. And likewise, uh, you know volumes are, are, are boosting in, in Savannah. You've got about nine ships off the coast waiting there. You're going to have, uh, and that's probably soon going to be the case in, in New York as well. They've been uh, pretty efficient so far. Uh, but have that, having that advance notice, I think, for the truckload market specifically, you, you need to understand uh, you know, how important this maritime data is. And I think a lot of people are. It's certainly a perfect time uh, for Sonar to come in and kind of uh, you know, paint that picture for everybody and help them met, you know, make better decisions and, and better forecasts. Yeah, and, and to also understand what these these anchorings mean, because we hear the numbers, and I mean, what is, great, 20 ships are at anchor in the Port of LA, but what does that really mean? Well, yeah. then you look at what it means, and uh, I think they moved 80 ships, they were able to clear 80 ships a month, and that was like a record, moving 80 ships through there. So that means that they're moving three, about three a day. You talk about five days a week, yeah. right? You got three a day moving through, so you're 20 at anchor, 17 ain't getting through, 17 ain't moving in. This isn't like you're at the drive through window at McDonald's. <laughs> Michael Vincent, that we, this is a big problem that takes a while to sort out. Yeah. You know, every time it seems like we're getting closer, those, those numbers in Port of LA are dipping. They tend to go, they seem to go right back up. I mean, we Soroka last week was talking about Gene Soroka at Port of LA. Yeah, he yeah. was like, you know, we're down to 13. But every day since then, it's been 18, 19. Today, yeah. it's 19 ships at anchor. Um, a place, we, a, a floor we've been stuck at for a while. Henry, it's a, it's a tough uh, market. We don't have the solutions for it, but we do have, I mean, a, a ball you can gaze in and get some insights. It's called Sonar. How do people who want to learn more about this ocean data, who should they speak with? Uh, you, know, you can look at um, our website online about Sonar, but I would encourage you to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, 
let's get connected. You know, we'll set you up. We'll get on the team or on a call with uh, somebody from our domestic team as well. And we'll, you know, I have experience in both. So, so I can, you know, I understand kind of how to make that complete picture and how to, you know, educate uh, people on how to best use Sonar. And it's certainly, you know, been, been um, resonating with a lot of people I've been talking with. But reach out on LinkedIn, email me hbyers, H-B-Y-E-R-S at freightwaves.com. Be happy to speak with you, set up a call and, and us go through it. Um, I think, you know, the time is now. Um, you don't be behind the eight ball. You know, let's, let's show you how to start forecasting these volumes, how to start un- be able to understand the downstream implications. Uh, and this is, you know, this is mode agnostic. This is if you're in ocean freight, this is in your uh, rail freight, this is in your, if you're in drive-in uh, truckload freight. It, it's all related. And understand that relationship is just going to be even more important move forward. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Thanks for Henry. The, Thanks for flowing that data into Sonar. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a pretty big deal, don't you? It's a huge deal. Yeah. I agree. Big deal. Little deal. Not a little deal. Not a little deal. All right, dude. No, no, it might be a big deal. It might be a little deal. $500,000. Know. Half a million dollars in electronics were swiped from a park semi-truck. Big deal, little deal. Yeah, well, I think it's a big deal that uh, they weren't utilizing some of the technology there that would let them know that it was opened and start filming immediately once it was open. There's plenty of things in there and trackers, right, of half a million yeah. dollars, right? Because the way I understand this, it, it went away inside like a, a, a Honda Accord and like a van or something like, and half a million dollars disappeared. What are you going to get Honda Accords? I don't have anything okay. but to fit a half a million dollars in it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not good. Not <laughs> of electronic good. equipment means it was pretty expensive stuff that was that was being that was that was leaving. In the grand th- scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a five hundred thousand dollar heist on one thing. Okay. Is is kind of my opinion. So here's one. In New Zealand, this is a big deal, I think. In New Zealand, a man faces legal action for spray painting now get this, he's spray painting penises around potholes. Wait, what? That's what this guy is doing. Okay. He, he, so he wanted to but bring... Just like a, juvenile, just rudimentary sort of pictures? Yeah, they're okay. very juvenile, kind of rudimentary okay. type of things. But he has been trying to get with uh, Auckland, New Zealand, with the officials there and their transportation department, DOT, whatever, it's there, yeah. uh, to try and get the potholes fixed. And he felt like they were just blowing them off. So he grabbed an idea from something he saw in the UK, in Manchester specifically, uh, and started uh, spray painting these <laughs> and got attention. Now they're going to fix these things. But he's in trouble, right? So he is, is yeah. he's in trouble with the law in New Zealand. Sure he is. But he went to jail, but now they're having a conversation. Okay, so he says, so this guy says, he says, I'm remaining optimistic that Auckland Transport will just fix the roads and they'll accept that the only reason he started drawing on the road is because the road was unsafe to start with. So he said that he right. wouldn't have even done this stuff if they forced his hand. They forced his hand. He had to get out the spray paint and make this happen. Well, maybe like a, you know, maybe a mildly vulgar display of, I don't know, road aggression isn't the way to go about it. But if it makes things happen, then maybe it was. Maybe this I is think what his intention happened. was to be that way so that they would pay more attention. Well, to yeah. it. If he just drew a flower, they're probably like, ah, who cares? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think it's very deliberate what he was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. And also just out of decency, they would they would assume that people want to fix these things quickly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is it a big deal? The potholes are a big deal. I'd say the potholes are a bigger deal than some spray paint, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. All right. I agree with you 100%. Dude, a man who, a man who used a KFC glitch to order over $9,000 worth of chicken uh, for free has been jailed in China. Is that a big deal or a little deal? Yeah, I think we, f- we free the, 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 the chicken bandit. 
I think I think we start a movement to free him. I think it's I think it's way too. Uh, I think it's a big deal that he went to jail for nine thousand dollars worth of ticket. Actually, um, it's pretty brilliant. I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's hilarious. I think it sounds. Uh, and he was in college, right? And he was given some of these things. He figured out how to do it. I don't exactly understand how he's doing it between two different accounts. He was yeah. having this voucher that constantly was there, and then he was selling it to other kids, other other, other people in in college as well, trying to eat while they're trying to pay these massive student loans. All right, so not a big deal. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, what's what's $9,000 to KFC? I think it's a bigger deal that 60% of consumers visiting brick-and-mortar stores less often and online sales growing 44% in 2020. And new reports that supply chain departments and marketing departments need to be more in sync, more now than ever in sync. What are you saying here? That was a terrible read. You're saying that 60% of consumers... 60% of consumers <laughs> that... Uh, right. 60% of consumers visiting brick-and-mortar stores less often. Okay. So 60% of them okay. are, are visiting here less often. Right? Online sales are growing 44%, yes. right, through 2020. Oh. Right? So the new report is saying that yeah, no, you've got to have marketing and, and, and supply chain yeah. together. Man. So here's the problem. If you're marketing department, they're saying if, if you go out there, you go, your marketing department says, yeah. we have one-day shipping. Yes. Good. And everyone goes and orders. They order your thing on Instagram. It shows up a week later, two weeks later, even three days later. That can be a big issue because you have marketed this. Now, this is a big deal because in supply chains, a lot of times the supply chain team is the last to know. They don't know until there's a problem. So they might even not know the marketing team is going to do this. I'll tell you a story. When I was at when I was at Talbot's, they um they something very simple. Let's give a free lipstick away with every pair of oh, shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't consult us. If they had consulted just a moment, we would have told you we're gonna need forms for these things. We're gonna need FDA forms. It's a different tariff classification now. It's gonna cost more money now to import these things. You gotta do these promotions different. You at least have to bring this stuff in instead of with the shoes. They tied it in horribly. I mean, I'm not sure how it worked out. Maybe it worked out fine for the company. I'm not really sure. I didn't. All I know was the headache that it created. And these things happen all the time. So I can totally see the marketing department being like, yeah, you know, it's a big selling point having really fast shipping. But not everybody's Amazon. Not everybody is. And the companies that are getting there that can get, you know, I'm always pretty amazed by them because it's a long road to get there. It's really highlighting the fact that operations is the one that that makes sales or or disproves sales as being liars. Right. (laughs) And marketing. Right. You're the one to have to commit to uh, make the commitments work that they're that they're out there doing. The other thing with these with what they're talking about here with the brick and mortar, et cetera, is when you're ordering online, you have to have that visibility as to is that actually an inventory in that store or is it in somebody's cart about to buy it? And therefore, it's not really an inventory. Yeah, right? I mean, half That's the things like I got off Etsy, it says fast, quick shipping lately, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, they're, I literally got someone at Etsy sent me back like Suez Canal. They were like, ah, oh, it's in the Suez Canal. I'm like, I doubt it's in <laughs> the You case. just saw that on the news. You learn everything from TV. <laughs> yeah, and not true. this show. All right, dude. <laughs> Speaking of learning things on TV, right. Great Waves Live at Home is Wednesday. Is that a big deal or a little deal? It's a huge deal. Are you kidding me? Freightways Live at Home. It was the event that changed everything right here yeah. at Freightways. We did that. We changed everything from live to virtual. Set the benchmark. It's awesome. Uh, up, and it up starts for Neil Award for Best New Product. Or Absolutely. Virtual best New Product yeah. to do it. Not to mention all the great people. A keynote speaker, uh, oh, yeah. Shelly uh, Simpson with, yes. uh, with Craig Fuller. It's going to mm-hmm. be awesome. J.B. Hunt is uh, what? Headline sponsor? Is that right? They are the headline sponsor. Awesome stuff, man. Lots of giveaways. Giveaways galore. You know, mm-hmm. if you register now, you can win some of this stuff. You got a tonal home 
Jim. What do you got here? How big is that TV? 80 How, inches, man. 80-inch TV. Holy yeah. cannoli. Traeger uh, grills. Those killer, Traeger man. Traeger grills. I could use one of those. I need. Oh, yeah. I was shopping for the other day. A fire pit. They got Apple TV 4K. <laughs> you got an Apple Watch. Those have saved people's lives. Got cameras yeah, right. here. 4K right. TV so you can watch our ugly mugs on your Freightways TV. Download the app wherever you get apps from. Or if you like this show on audio, look up Freightways. Or look up What the Truck wherever you get your podcast. We have a ton here. We got two What the Trucks coming from the event. Two-day yeah. event. You go to live.freightways.com. You register. It's free. Well, you're at live.freightways.com. Get psyched for in-person events because they're back November 8th to 10th. Use promo code WTT. You'll save yourself $200 per ticket. What the Truck newsletter out at 6 p.m. tomorrow. Go to freightwaves.com slash WTT. Sign up. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, man. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere and spread it often. 